Father, this morning we just come to you. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. For you are good. And you are good all the time. We just thank you, Father. This morning, Lord, even as we look into your word, we pray you would continue to speak to us. For your word is truth. You pray to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify us, Lord, even today through your word, so that we can become a noble vessel in the hands of the Almighty God or Master. Use for your glory. Use for your purpose. Use for your kingdom. Sanctify us, Lord. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God's word says, we don't need the reference because we know it so well by now, that God's people perish because of lack of knowledge. Which is true in the world and in the kingdom of God. Either way. Kids who are going to do their exams, if they fail, it's because they didn't know the answers. The questions were there, but they didn't know the answers. And therefore they fail. In the kingdom of God, God says the same thing. That we will fail if we don't have knowledge. The problem is, in the schools, we are very aware because there is an examination and there is an answer paper that comes back and you will see whether you passed or not. And if you passed, how did you pass? It's very clear. And you look at success in the world and think we are successful in the kingdom. Or you may look at failure in the world and think you have failed in the kingdom, which is both wrong. You can think you are incredibly successful in the kingdom and be absolute failure when we stand before God. Or you could think you failed by the standards of the world and then be translated one day to find you are an incredible success in God's estimate. Okay, so do not judge anything by what the world says. That's why we need to know the knowledge of God's word. The knowledge of God's word. Because that is what sets us free. See, we have a saying... uh, in English about the law. The saying is, uh, when you stand before a judge for a crime, ignorance of the law will not be taken as an excuse. Okay, Let's say you broke a traffic law and you've been given the ticket and you've been asked to appear before the, the court, the traffic court. When you tell the when you tell the judge you did not know this particular rule, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. Okay? In the same way, God says, my people perish. My people perish. Because the laws of the kingdom will operate whether we know it or whether we do not. Whether we break it knowingly or whether we break it unknowingly the laws will work. 
ठीक है यू कैन नॉट एस्केप इट इट्स सिंपली लाइक द लॉ ऑफ ग्रेविटी डज इट मैटर वेदर यू जंप नोइंगली और यू फेल एक्सीडेंटली यू विल स्टिल ब्रेक योर हेड बिकॉज़ यू फेल एक्सीडेंटली द ग्रेविटी वन सडनली सीस ओह पोर फेलो ही डिड नॉट नो नो इट डजंट वर्क सो इग्नोरेंस इग्नोरेंस दैट्स व्हाई वी आर कंटीन्यूअसली मेडिटेटिंग स्टडीइंग ऑन द वर्ड ऑफ गॉड सो दैट वी अंडरस्टैंड हाउ द किंगडम ऑफ गॉड works okay the knowledge of the kingdom the second is the power of the kingdom so god offers us both he offers us his son which is the wisdom of god himself and he offers his spirit which is his power and he offers us both to us and says nobody should be a failure when you stand before god nobody should be so rambakta when we began this year we are looking from the the book of joshua about a new generation entering into the promised land an entire generation failed they came out of egypt but they could not enter the promised land because they did not take god seriously or his word seriously therefore they failed another generation is going to enter under a new leader and we know what joshua tells them one of the things joshua tells them is in joshua chapter 3 and verse 3 they commanded the people saying when you see the ark of the covenant of the lord your god and the priest the levites bearing it then you shall set out from your place and go after it in today's context what he's saying he's saying is keep your eyes on the ark that represents god and the priest who are carrying it on their shoulders keep your eyes on this both the ark and the priest the new covenant writer of hebrews will tell it this way in hebrews 12 1 and 2 therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses the men and women of god who have gone before us the genuine men and let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto jesus keep your eyes fixed on jesus and those who have carried his testimony so you will see it's practically the same it's the same in the old and the new covenant keep your eyes on jesus so that we do not fail keep your eyes on the ark and the priest and in the new covenant keep your eyes on christ and those who carry his testimony the letter of hebrews was written to the second generation that the first generation of believers the second generation persecution was intense and believers were falling away or drifting away from the faith and they were being encouraged to keep their eyes on when it come on jesus you see so many things happen like mm, we have brethren who have come from the west it's a free country in so many ways it's much more free than our nation is free country so our country is not so much free when it comes to christian worship okay so i will tell you you have to you have to balance this always at something which i tell all my pastors in india in the western nations you have the freedom because you have your own spaces you have the freedom to shout and scream and worship in the way you like in our countries that the first thing they look to shut you down because we are in very enclosed space so the first thing the nun came and said please do not make too much noise all the hindus around are complaining the churches are making too much noise understand that that's how the government will shut you down you will see small small churches with five people with a speaker outside 
which blocks you because you should not be very very careful that you very careful no that's why i came and shut all these windows we need the freedom to worship loudly without ever giving a reason to the enemy to work through the system to shut us down that's what they do everywhere okay so always yes praise but also be wise shut the windows keep the clean where we have open spaces where there is no no neighbors around scream in your houses shut the windows and worship loudly the other extremists if you go to persecuted countries there is no sound yet they worship incredibly okay so balance it always balance because we are living in very difficult times so the book of hebrews was written in very difficult times people were falling away under intensity of persecution the first generation of leaders had gone and people were drifting away and to them they are told keep a eye on those witnesses who have gone before us keep a eye on Christ Jesus see israel the new generation that went in to the promised land you know israel failed in their second battle they won the first battle incredibly and they became overconfident or rather their leader became overconfident and they lost the second battle to a very tiny little town called i and usually we f- lose our battle to i not to you but to i believers also fail this morning i want to look at this how do believers cope with failures You see we may fail over and over again but we do not become failures unless we choose to give up Some of those incredibly mighty men we even know in secular history are people who failed so many times but refused to give up Because you failed till this morning God doesn't call you a failure Failures are people who have given up fighting. Who have given up trying. Okay. It is the attitude of when they lost their first battle, second battle was the first battle they lost. Immediately Joshua is on his face crying, why did you bring us here? We are finished. God says, get up from your face. I didn't bring you to lose. I didn't bring you to the promised land with all these promises so that you would be a failure. He said, "Get up! There is a problem. Deal with the problem. You will win." Okay. God did not die on the cross. He did not defeat the devil so that his children can be defeated every day. He says, "No." He says, "No." Just because you failed, that doesn't mean you are a failure. Okay. So today we are going to look at a very specific person, the one. if you look at it who failed so badly and we will see also why we fail what we need to do to see that we don't end up as failures in mark chapter 14 verses 27 to 31 jesus is getting ready for his end okay then jesus said all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night for it is written i will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after i have been raised i will go before you to galilee peter said to him even if all are made to stumble yet i will not be that's peter not this peter the other peter 
Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Many times, so many times, we were also like that. We said, you know what, this is the last time. I am not going to fall in that area again. We don't need even a rooster or an alarm bell to ring. We have fallen. Peter is going to fail terribly that night. All the others too. And there is nobody in this room who has not failed Christ multiple times over and over again. And Jesus has something to say to Peter and to all of us. This is what he says in the same context in Luke. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. He has asked for you. Satan has asked for everybody. Satan asked for everybody. He asked for Job, the righteous man. He asked the stumbling man. He asked for everybody. That he may sift you as wheat. God said, okay. But I have prayed for you. What is that I have prayed for you? That your faith should not fail. If you stumble and fall, your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Believers, those who profess their faith in Christ will be allowed by God to be sifted by Satan. But always remember when you are being sifted. Christ has prayed for us. And is even now praying for us. Because scripture says is for our making intercession for those who are being saved. He allows us to be sifted. But he is praying for us what? While these things happen, our faith does not fail us. That we will turn back. And the lessons we have learned, we will use to strengthen others who are in the same journey. That's what he tells Peter. So the question is, how does a follower of Jesus get to the place where they can deny the Lord? How do we reach that place where we end up failing God, failing Christ, the one who loves us most and whom we confess to love more than anybody else? How do we reach that place where we deny him? Second, more important, how does he or she, after having failed, recover? You see, Peter was a leader. One of the first to be called. And he was the most outspoken of Jesus' disciples. Therefore, his failures are very vividly Described in the Gospels. You see, if you keep on proclaiming, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never fail you, all your failures will be very clearly written as a lesson to others. Okay? And the person in the Old Testament was David, how I love you as the dear pan, all this. God said, I love you. Now all your failures will be written very clearly for all ages to come. One, to know your failures. Second, your recovery too. So others will learn. 
There is a pathway to failure. People don't fail just like that. There is a pathway to failure, believers. Hmm? Nobody fails suddenly. Nobody falls suddenly. When we study the lives of those who have failed in their walk, we see the steps downward to failure. These are the same steps other believers also take before they deny Jesus. Okay? Let us look at these steps. First step. Jesus had taken his disciples apart to Caesarea Philippi, where he asked them this important question. Who do people say that I am? Okay, this found in Matthew 16, 21 to 23. This is where he asks. And some say you are John the Baptist, some say you are Elijah, some say you are Jeremiah. Okay, depending upon, if one day Jesus comes and preaches the fire and brimstone message like repent, the kingdom of God is here and that's the only message you heard, you went, if you ask him, who, who is he like? Uh, he's like John. If you were there where he took, did miracles, they will say he's like Elijah. If you heard him pray, you will say he's like Jeremiah. So people had different perceptions. What do people say? Who do people say that I am? Then he asked, who do you say that I am to the apostles? Peter said, you are Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said, this a revelation from my father. Okay, It is after this, Jesus, the next thing, after this incredible revelation God has given Peter as to who Jesus is, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. He gave them his plan. This is what the word of God says I have to go through. This is my father's will for me. When he showed all these things, scripture says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Do you see that? What is the first thing? The first step towards denial of Jesus is we disagree with the revelation of who God is. We start disagreeing with the word of God. That's the first step. That's the first step. And I was incredibly happy yesterday because you see all these men of God who have been there before and when they go off tangent, we still love them. We don't agree with them. We love them. And yesterday when Shaiju put the post on Benihin, and how Benin is now repenting and changing that he went wavered with the prosperity gospel and he realizes it is not true. I said, oh Lord, thank you. For 65 years old, he at least found the truth now. But these are very powerful voices. But our first step of straying away from God is we disagree with the word of God. Disagree with the word of God. We pick pieces. See, when we read the word of God, we don't read or study or listen with a surrendered heart. We take our idols to, to the word. If you're a person who doesn't like any discomfort, no suffering, please, then you will pick your teacher accordingly. Peter was a prosperity preacher from the beginning, before Pentecost. 
So when Jesus talked about suffering, he said, no Lord, please, because you suffer, I will also have to go through it. No Lord, change your doctrine. Change your doctrine, please. And Jesus rebuked him. And you know what he said? He said, you know what? This is the doctrine of the devil. The doctrine of the devil. Okay? You don't understand. You don't understand. The first step a child of God takes towards failing God is disagreeing with the word of God. I always tell brethren and pastors, everything in the word of God is true, but it's in the sovereignty of God. Never take the sovereignty of God from the promises of God. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It's absolutely sovereign. Because there is this bird of faith movement which teaches you to take God out of the picture and you become God. And by confessing and confessing and confessing, you can make things happen. That's not just in Christianity. It is there in Japan also in a form of Buddhism. They sit there and meditate and confess over and over and things come to pass as they confess too. Our God is sovereign. He's always sovereign. So we have to be very, very careful of a major issue. The first step of falling away. You see, we don't fall away. We drift away. Drifting is very difficult to notice. Let us say you, you sat in a boat by the side and you tied the rope to the, to the one of the pillars on the wharf. And then the rope came off, but you were lying in your boat, in your sun chair, and you were reading. You will never know after a couple of hours, you are somewhere in the middle of the sea. Because drifting is so unnoticeable. You drift away, you drift away. That's where it begins. Drifting away begins simply with disagreeing with the word of God. I don't have to like the word of God. But I don't disagree with the word of God. God doesn't say, you need to like my word. He says, you better agree with my word. Better agree with my word. Because he won't change his word for anybody. Anybody. You know, we are like that king. What is his name in the Old Testament? When the scrolls are open, any portion he doesn't like, he cuts it off. Jehoiakim cuts it off. And God had a terrible indictment before Jehoiakim. He said, you are the only one who will not receive the burial of a king. You will get the burial of a donkey because you cut my words out according to your liking. No? The first thing is agree with the word of God whether you like it or not because in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word is God. Doesn't change. Heaven and earth will pass away. Not a dot from my word. And so many pastors have gone through this nation and other nations till today. When I showed them that scripture, not a single, I'm not talking about believers, I'm talking about pastors. Not a single one of those pastors knew Psalm 138 and verse 2. They did not know. They hadn't seen it. Now can we have it on the screen? I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth for you have magnified your word above all your name. All your name. Above all your name, you have magnified your word. We have many names. Many names of God. Jehovah, Je- Lord is my provider. I will never lack. God says, please don't exalt it above my word. 
There will be times for you, Mr. Elijah, you will only eat two meals a day. You won't get a third meal. At that time, don't start confessing, Jehovah Jireh, three meals a day. Why? This is the writer Jesus gives us in Matthew 7. He will say, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. Everything they did was good and beneficial to the people. But God says, I do not know you. Why? Because they had not aligned his name with his word. They lifted, used his name without coming under the sovereignty of his word. So remember the word of God. Our first step is that some preacher says something, maybe in some church you hear, you feel offended. That's why Jesus said the final blessing, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Offended. Offended because of something was said. And you know, I don't agree with it. And you'll start searching for somebody who will agree with you. The word doesn't have to agree with me. I have to agree with the word. That's the first step. The first step of falling away, drifting away is when we start disagreeing with the revealed word of God and we start contending with it. And Jesus rebukes. People do not realize how much of a mess we are in because we have continuously, this is the world, disagreed with the word of God. You see, with all, because it's very clear, because all over the news, something happens in India, nothing comes, but anything happens in the US, it's all over the news. They will talk about uh, taking the guns away, they will talk about arming the teachers, they will talk about everything except one thing. They will not say, let's bring God back. That they will not say. They will not touch the real issue. They will never talk about the real issue. What is the real issue? God said, you took me out, now handle it. I told you this is what will happen to you. He told Israel, he told America, this is exactly what will happen because you are the only two nations who put it there in God we trust. Well, if you said it, keep it. In the end, all won't go through those crises because we never made a covenant with the living God. Our crisis is normal to anybody. But people who take the name of God And make a covenant with God. God says, your life shall be determined by what I have said. And ignorance is not an excuse. He will be merciful. But he says, the consequences follow. And God is very, 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 very clear about almost everything that concerns life. Like, you know, when we talk about marriage, we just had a marriage. Parents will look at everything. What is the height? What is the color? What is the race? What is the caste? What is the salary? That is not fundamental. Fundamental thing is that, is he or she a believer? That's the first law of marriage. If the first law doesn't match, then all the others will fall apart. It doesn't matter because then you get married, you will have to compromise on the first one. Thou shall not be unequally yoked. But that's not a criteria. That is not a criteria. For most even Christian parents, parents, that is not a criteria. The only thing is that, how much does he make? How is the girl? That's not the first question. That's the second and third. Second and third. But we always put the first one or we don't even talk about it. And then things start going wrong. When things start going wrong, Panic mode, we hit the panic mode, all counseling, everything, nothing seems to work. Why? Rule number one was broken and they are not willing to align to rule number one again. 
But if rule number one is there, two, three, four are little shaky, you can always bring them to one and hold them together. But one doesn't work, who's going to listen? For everything you say, who said so? Well, it is written, I don't believe. That is your opinion. I don't believe. Okay, so you realize how it goes. Many, many believers have forsaken this as the only source of what is right and what is wrong. The only source of what is right and what is wrong. And we have replaced the opinions of men. To obey God, you need only one reason. He said so. To disobey God, you can come with thousand reasons. You see, when God uses this, what he means is, God has bound himself to his word. He says, I will not change. I do not change. You know, why people do not get out of their mess is because they try to circumvent the word. It's a stone. God said, I have put this rock in Zion. You cannot move that rock. It's immovable. You cannot go around it also. It's too large. You cannot go over it. It's too high. You have two choices. Either you fall upon it and be broken, accept its verdict, and God says you can move on. I'll take you through. Or one day it will crush you. A lot of Christians, because they are not able to accept what actually God says about the situation, is being crushed by the very word. And the devil is sifting them. And God says, my prayer, Peter, is that your faith will not fail. We cannot debate with the word. We cannot debate with the word. We must always agree with the word, whether we like it or not. We don't even have to fully understand it. That's why Jesus said, brought a little child and put them before the crowd and says, unless you become like this little child, you cannot enter or receive the kingdom. You know, when you tell... Today's little children are of course different, but I'm talking about a generation back. If you told told a little child, go brush your teeth, the child is not going to ask what, why, where, when, how. Nothing. No. Today if you read, say something from scripture, they need to know why. They need to check 15 commentaries to see different opinions about. You know what happens? God says to little children, you know, you tell them, they do it. And he says, like a child, you and I need to approach the word of God. You know, I've always seen this. When people, even mighty men of God, when men of God or women of God look into scripture and they find something they don't like, they are searching outside scripture to justify their rebellion, a way out. Honestly, commentary is necessary not for obedience. Commentary is necessary for a deeper understanding. For obedience, I need only this. It's very clear. God is very clear. There's nothing confusing about Him. Those who study commentaries and all the others should only study because they want a deeper revelation of God, deeper understanding how we dealt with other people, not for obedience. If you are ever checking other people to obey or disobey something, the word of God, check your heart. There's something wrong. Because to obey, you don't need a commentary. 
Israel was never given a commentary. They were given the law and the prophets. That's all they were given. And when the commentaries came, the Pharisees made life difficult for them. Difficult for them. Okay, please understand. We study the word of God so that we understand the God of the word. Not to choose whether I need to obey or not. So the first step a believer makes where he will reach the point where he denies God is he starts debating with the word of God. He starts disagreeing with the word of God. Second step. Even if everyone denies you, I will not. The second step is overconfidence, which comes from pride. Knowledge, experience, all this can be dangerous if you lean on it alone. Knowledge can be very dangerous. Okay, Even in the secular world, you can be very, you're a classroom teacher and you have taught the same subject over and over. A new session has begun. You go, I don't need to prepare. I know my subject like the back of my hand. That's what teachers will say. And then there is a smart fellow sitting over here with a question. You have no clue what the answer is. And you are teaching in your usual flow with confidence and suddenly one fellow, a new fellow puts up his hand and says, so what does this mean? Where did this fellow come from? To spoil my day. Overconfidence in any, any, any field. Okay. God had told Joshua, keep a close eye. Joshua got overconfident. Jericho fell like a pack of cards. They just overtook it. Took it all over. They forgot it was God who brought the walls down. It had nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. So the next town is a small little town. Joshua said, no problem. Just take 3,000 men and go. There's no need for the whole arm. He never inquired of the Lord. How do I need to fight? The thing is that when we are facing a huge in a final exam, you will see all the children will ask exams, uh, prayer for. Have you ever heard anyone of them ask, pray for class test? No, they don't. Because I can handle it. But they fail in the class test. This is our issue. In a larger perspective, when it comes to small, small situations, we never lean on God. I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. God said, I never asked you to handle anything on your own. Overconfidence. That's what he says in Joshua 3, 4. Why do we need to keep our eyes on this thing? Because you must keep, because you have not passed this way before. Nobody has seen tomorrow. Have you seen tomorrow? Not even today we are sure of. Ask Sammy in the morning, the confusion. Pastor, I don't know what to do. One place meeting is going on, another place is locked. What to do? Stuff is there. This is locked. Calling the sisters. Nobody is picking the phone. What do we do? You see, we are not even handled to today. And then things all fall into, fell into place by 8.15. Things all fell into place. What I am saying is we are very confident. But God says to Joshua, be careful Joshua. You are going into a place and into a journey. You have never gone this way before. Don't be overconfident. And Joshua was overconfident. The walk of faith is an unknown road. Even if others have taken the road, it is not the same steps. Our steps will be different. That's why the writer of Hebrews will tell, keep your eyes 
fixed on Christ Jesus. And Jesus was clear. Otherwise you will fall away. Peter was overconfident in his own strength. In Mark 14 verse 29, Peter said, even if all are made to stumble, I will not. Even if all, I know, John, I know, Andrew, James, all of them, no, but me, no, but not, not possible. Maybe all these guys, but not me. Jesus said to Peter, before the rooster cries two times, you would have denied me three times. Verse 31, what did Peter say? Even if I have to die with you, Peter said, I will not deny you. The word of God warns over and over again pride and overconfidence. Because overconfidence is basically a symptom of pride. And this is what scripture says in Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. No? Okay. Before a fall, the haughty spirit. The devil knows. What does the devil know? He knows the proud from far away. Why? We may know why. Because we, you don't realize, now we all look good, all of you smell good, all kinds of perfumes are wafting around, but you don't know, spirit gives out an aroma and the proud stink in the spirit just like the devil. He knows you from far. He knows the proud from far. You may look the most gracious outwardly, but if your spirit is tinged with pride, the devil knows them. Because pride did not start with anybody, it began with him. What are we usually proud about? Usually proud about two things. Either our knowledge or our beauty. Our beauty, our looks. It is good to look good. But it is terrible to put your trust in your looks. Beauty and knowledge. Let us look at the devil. Ezekiel chapter 28. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, a synonym for the devil. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. When I made you, you are perfect, full of wisdom, full of perfect in beauty. And then what happened? Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. How many beautiful women you see who are humble? They don't have to be beautiful. They just have to think they are beautiful. (laughs) Same thing for men too. How many smart people have you found who are humble? One Narayana Murthy and all will be there. All these Malayas and all are fleeing. You know how they walked. How they walked. When a little money came in, suddenly everything changed how they walked. Knowledge comes in how. You don't see this. Because of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, I have cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze. Your heart was lifted up. Heart was lifted up. Heart was lifted up. Have you noticed all the stars in Hollywood, Bollywood, Tollywood, Mollywood, whatever woods are there? None of them will keep other good-looking ones around them. 
Have you noticed when they walk? They will have ordinary looking people around them because they don't want attention being deflected. Next time, if you watch, next time you watch. Unless there is a award show where they all sit together, give these fake plastic smiles to each other, you will never see them in each other's company. Because they cannot handle it. Because this is, the heart has been lifted up by a micro millimeter of skin complexion. That is why this is the biggest industry in the world. Why do people shop, shop, shop till they fall? What is our saying? Before the fall comes the mall. (laughs) Your heart has been lifted up because of your beauty and your corrupted, your wisdom. That's what God is talking about. No. It's very, very, very difficult for the fallen man to excel in something and remain quiet. Remain humble. And the proud really despise others. They look down. Look down. These guys are weaklings. Even if the others, not me. Peter didn't realize he was looking down on his brethren who had served the Lord along with him. That's why God, when he talks about, no, scripture says, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved. God says, what's the reason? Malachi talks about that. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation for. Who are the kind of people God will be mad always? Why is he so upset with Esau, with Edom? Um, Obadiah will give you the answer. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, that is Esau. We have heard a report from the Lord, not from man. And a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Why? The pride of your heart has deceived you. See, what we don't understand is, when Esau is hungry and he comes and Jacob says, give me your birthright, I'll give my story, he says, take it. You know why people are very casual about spiritual things? Because they are proud. They are proud. Humble people will never debate with this. They will value this, the things of God, because they know life and death is dependent upon the mercy of God. But proud people are very casual about things of God. And Esau was very casual about the things of God. And God says, you know what? I'm watching this guy dealing with my things. And I despise him and his entire race. His pride has deceived you. You build as much as you want. God says, I will pull it all down. I will pull it all down. God is dealing with Peter. 
is dealing with Peter. Peter has no clue his words are being read. What did you say? Even if all this deny you, I will not. Overconfident, proud. James will say in James chapter 4 and verse 6, we know it very well. God opposes, resists the proud. It's, it's, it's like a terrible thing for a believer who is, I don't know, it's a misnomer, a believer who is proud. But it's possible, quite possible. Believer is proud. Because God resists him, the devil is behind him. It's literally between the rock and the hard place. Devil is after you. Rock, God is resisting you. And you're going nowhere. God says, I am not going to move an inch until I have humbled you. Because I am humble and I will make you humble. God is humble. God is meek. And one of the way God humbles his people, makes them meek, is by allowing them to fail. That doesn't mean you are a failure, okay? If your marriage has failed, that doesn't mean you are a failure. He's humbling you. If your children are rebellious, it doesn't mean you are a failure. God is humbling you because he wants to interact with you at a deeper level. If you have failed in your job, it's because he's humbling you sometimes. That is why sometimes you have done everything right. You have confessed, you have called, you have prayed, you have fast. No breakthrough is coming. God says breakthrough will come when you humble. It's got nothing to do with what you are saying. I am trying to humble you so that I can raise you. Because he is the only one who exalts. Failing in itself does not make one humble. Okay, please remember that. It can also make you bitter and hard. That you will see so many people in marriages bitter and hard. Why? Because the marriage has failed. But they did not become humble through their experiences. Either you blame others, end up blaming others, or you end up blaming God like Naomi. Her life was a mess. Husband gone, son's dead, ten years of famine, stripped of everything. But she's not humble yet. You cannot humble Naomi. What more can God do to humble Naomi? Nothing. She will not be humble. She is mad. You know what she says when she comes back? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty, the problem is, no, no, not me. Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. He was not fair to me. People become like that. that. All these circumstances, God allowed the devil to sift you. Many, many reasons opened doors. They came in. But through it all, God says, if you love me, it will all work for your good. All things work together for, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But if you don't, it will mess you up. It will really, really mess you up. So remember, failing itself does not guarantee you will become meek and humble. Naomi did not. Or like Cain, you will end up like a wanderer. In Genesis 4.12, scripture says, when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You can work, 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 work. God says, you will not prosper. Moreover, you will be a vagabond on earth. You know how many vagabonds are there in all the churches? They never stick to any place. They keep on moving around, moving around, moving around, moving around. That vagabond spirit, you know what? Because God cannot deal with that one thing in their life which God ditches. That's pride. 
These are all people who refused to accept. He failed. God says, if you do right, you will be accepted. No. Here is my brother. I don't my brother's keeper. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, this is what Paul says. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He had incredible revelations of heaven, which he was not allowed to share with anybody. He who came last after all the apostles had gone far ahead of them and knew more than all of them. And God says, you know what, Paul, I love you. One thing I want to do is that we have converted so much because you're a humble dude. We could talk really, really well, but now you know so much, I don't want pride to set in. So I'm going to do something to you. I'm going to break a piece of you. Something in his life. It's not going to go away. You can pray fast. You can do anything. It will not go away. It will be very visible. It will keep you humble. It will keep you humble. Because I love you. I don't know what it was. Nobody knows what. We have many theories. But nobody knows what it was. But it was very clearly allowed by God. And sent by the devil himself to Paul. People could get healed. And everything happens. But this one thing won't go away. Paul had to humble himself. And really, really humble himself. God says, you know why? Because I love you. I don't want you to be proud. Because he had an incredible plan for Paul. He had an incredible plan for Peter. He has an incredible plan for everybody. Everybody. But he couldn't use Peter as he was. Proud and overconfident. So God was going to take his hand off and allow him to fall. And what a fall it would be. Peter's fall was the worst among all the apostles. Leave leave uh, Judas alone. Okay. Terrible fall. That's why the right position to sit is to sit at his feet. That's what he said. One thing Mary has done, it's not only she's listening, she's sitting at my feet. Because that's a, if you sit at the floor, you cannot fall any further. No? That's one of the reasons Jesus said. Jesus said, you know what? I'm teaching you practical ways of humbling yourself. You go for a party. He says, go sit in the last seat. Don't go immediately and sit in the front seat. And somebody bigger than you has been invited. And then the MC comes and says, Sir, please move to the back. You will be humiliated. On the other hand, you go sit at the back. And the MC comes and says, Sir, don't sit there. Please come. You will be honored. Right? Because God is teaching us practically to deal with the flesh. Because the flesh always wants... One thing which I always find interesting about pastors is that when you meet this, I love them, okay, senior pastors and all. Uh, are you a pastor? No, I am a reverend. Said, okay, reverend. There is only one who is revered and reverend, but it's okay. Okay, how we cling to our titles? How much we cling to our titles? It's, it's that title has become our identification mark. Uh, no, it has become our identification mark and God. You know, can you imagine? I told this before. Jesus printing a visiting card. What will he put? 
Jesus Christ, creator of this universe, the word that became Fred's man. I mean, where is it going to stop? And he says one, Jesus Christ, son of man. We struggle, really, really, and it's a daily battle, and that battle has to be fought practically the ways which God has said it, and you have to do it. And here is Mary, found the right position, sitting there at his feet, humbly, and Martha is getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Now, in a different context, when she says, Lord, how can you allow? She was contemptuous about her sister. You know why she was contemptuous about her sister? Because once upon a time, she was demon-possessed. Therefore, she considered her useless. Now she's sitting there and wasting time while I'm working. We always have this. You know somebody's past and his past has changed. Christ has redeemed that person and made them very, very nice and holy and useful. But we'll judge them by their past because we are not happy with their present. Not happy with their present. So we'll always go back and remind them of that. And God says, you know what? The other way, Martha, one thing you don't have, she has. One thing she doesn't have. How do you remember people? By their present or by their past? Because there are so many people who are overconfident because of their beauty, their knowledge, their ability, their talents. What I tell the worship team members who come to me, doesn't matter how talented you are, you can only sing. You cannot worship. To worship, you need the anointing. Without it, you cannot do anything. You can entertain. You cannot worship. To worship, you need the Spirit of God. Without Him, you cannot worship. And the Spirit of God, you don't get Him easily. He is also meek. He is also humble. So the extremely talented person too will be like Pastor Sharon early in the morning is up sitting and working and working and practicing and working and ready before anybody. We have two bits of talent. Two days later, we come late and we take it casually. Okay, no problem. I can manage. God says, it won't work in my kingdom. It simply doesn't work in my kingdom. Couldn't Jesus have gone and preached? And No, early in the morning in the wilderness he goes and is crying out to the Father to get ready for today's ministry. If he has a ministry, he is preparing for that. He did not take his position for granted. He knew that I had to earn it. That's why scripture says he was heard because of his obedience. And God says, let none of these things make us overconfident. Anything, nothing make us overconfident. We should always take every day as a new day where I'm entirely dependent upon God. And God says, I'll come through for you. First step, he started debating with the word of God. Second step, he was proud, he was overconfident. Third step, Mark chapter 14, verse 54. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he sat with his servants and warmed himself at the fire. One of the signs of trouble in a believer's life is that those who followed him closely start following him from a distance. 
When you know you have distanced yourself from God and his visible body, the church, you are in trouble of falling and failing him. People who are very, very, very regular, suddenly they slacken off. They start following from a distance. They started following him at art. The one who walked with him for three and a half years is now following him from a distance. Why? Very careful. Sundays we sing a closer walk with thee and Mondays we follow him from far. away. We don't want anybody even to know that we are really a Christian. So we try to gel in with the crowd in our offices and all. The problem is if you follow him from a distance, very soon you will be sitting with the wrong crowd. There is pattern. First you follow him at a distance and then a little later you are sitting with the wrong crowd. With the very crowd and very soon you will be doing what the crowd is doing. Peter was sitting now and warming himself with a crowd that was hostile to Christ. The hostility to Christ is increasing day by day, everywhere. You see the persecution in the Muslim world, China, India and all, it's a religious thing. It's a simple religious thing. Everybody is fighting for territory. They are all afraid. Okay, religious people are afraid. If I lose two people, what will I do? Because they don't know God. Even if you lose hundred people, God and you is still a majority. They don't know that. So they are always fighting for numbers and space. It's a religious thing. Persecution is a religious thing. The hostility to Christ is not in persecuted places. It's in the West, in the Christian nations. Hostility to Christ. Don't utter the name of Christ here. Persecution, religious persecution is a completely different thing. The hostility to Christ. This is a hostile crowd. They don't like Christ for what he stands The Hindu is running around with his saffron flag has no clue what who Christ is. He's been told by his leader, just go. And he goes. He doesn't know Christ. But there are people all over the Christian, Western, so-called Christian world, we are, they are very hostile to Christ. You know, the, the reporter on the CNN interview, when she, what she said about Mike Pence, Vice President of America, she said, Mike Pence is more dangerous than Trump. You think Trump is dangerous? This guy is more dangerous because he says Jesus talks to him. Then immediately all the reporters and say, he must be, he must be, need a mental checkup and medical checkup because he says God speaks to him. Then what kind of religion are you talking about? I am also a Christian. I am also a believer, she claims, but God doesn't speak to me. It's all over. This is not in persecuted nations. These are in Christian nations. Because a man stands up and says, I pray to God and he speaks to me, you are immediately ridiculed in Christian nations, not in persecuted nations. It doesn't matter who you are. They will ridicule you because they are very hostile to Christ. You follow him from afar. Soon you are sitting in a crowd that is hostile and warming in the fire that is lit by them. Your fall is very close. That is why we tell children, you know, walk away. 
in your offices, in your classrooms, in your break time when they're sitting there and doing things that mock God or mock his principle, just walk away. This is something which I've been telling people for years. Why would you want to go to a theater and watch a movie when most of it mocks God? Once one a friend up and said, James, I went for this movie. I was so, oh, so agitated because in the middle they deliberately said Holy Spirit instead of Holy Spirit and I walked away. And I said, why were you there in the first place? Those are not places for us. If you want to watch, watch it on, on your computer. Because you are sanctioning something by your very presence there. I am not. Hollywood is against Christ. Hollywood is not for Christ. They are absolutely anti-Christ. Why should I pay for them to succeed? Why should I legitimize them by being in the presence of a mocking crowd? I'm not. If I want to watch, I watch through the things and I look at a movie which has got something, which has got a good moral and good storyline. And you may watch it in the privacy of my home. I'm not going to go to a theater and sit with a crowd that is hostile and warm in their fire. No way, Jose. I am not going to that place. I'm not going to that place. The choices we make. The choices we make. Because we want to be like that crowd. That's why I said falling away does not happen suddenly. It happens gradually. And these are markers. And these markers are very important. Therefore continually examine your faith. Because faith is a walk. Listen to the psalmist. Okay, Very beautifully the psalmist puts in Psalm 1 and verse 1. Got it? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the... Don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. Very clear. Do not walk in the steps with the wicked. Do not stand in the way of sinners. Do not sit in the company of mockers. Where is Peter sitting now? The company of mockers. Yesterday you said, I will not deny Christ. Today who are you sitting with? Company of sinners. He was started walking in step with the wicked. He stood with them. Soon he sat with them. And soon what he will be do? He will be cursing in the same language like That's what happens to young people. They are so under pressure, under pressure, under pressure. I want to be like them, I want to be like them, I want to be like them. So they use their language to be in the in crowd. Peer pressure is powerful, whether you are young or old. Very powerful. That's why I tell these, these pastors and I tell them, why did you start, all of you start preaching this? Did you understand the theology? No. Because you wanted, you looked in the TV and you saw this man talking and name it, name it, claim it, have it, radical grace and you saw his offerings coming in bags and you saw the crown and said, let me change my theology. Did people come for you? No. But you compromised. Why? You were under pressure by seeing some scenes on the TV. And not defined by the word of God. Because you did not learn how to correctly handle the word of God. Every two years your doctrine is changing. You are looking who is the current popular one on TV. Then you change accordingly. Peer pressure for a child or for a man of God. 
So much. That's the pressure that's upon Moses. Change, change, Moses, change, change. The pressure is as he comes down from the presence of God, his brother has compromised and changed. Then Miriam and Aaron is standing over there. You are younger than us. We are the older ones. What do you think? You are the only one God speaks through. A little later, the entire leadership stands and says, what do you think? You are the only one. Our theology is also right. It's all about doctrine. That God speaks through us too. And he says, no. What I have received, I received from him. I cannot change it. That's what Paul says. Tomorrow, if an angel comes and preaches to you, even I myself comes and changes the gospel, let me be cursed. Because this is non-negotiable. This is his, not mine. Not mine. Pressure. Young people under enormous pressure. Enormous pressure. So many people act like Christians only on a Sunday. Simply to be accepted. And then Monday, there's somebody else. Why do you think Ananias and Sapphira fool, try to fool Peter? Just to be accepted. They saw Barnabas coming and selling us. Only one. Many sold and gave. Nobody's names is mentioned. Only Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas was a godly man. He sold and gave it. They watched it and they heard. He was included into the leadership circle. They thought this is a good way. Pressure. I also want to join. I also want pastor to call me one of the elders. So a big way to give a big offering. Look at Peter and look at today. Today if somebody gives a big offering, we'll say, Hallelujah Lord, you answered my prayer. And we include them all in the decision making and they create havoc in the church. But when the first group of people had to be included for leadership in the Bible, Peter said, pick Seven people full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. What is to do the refreshment? Handle refreshment. Tables. Why? Because there was a conflict between the Hebraic, the Jewish believers and the Greek believers over the feeding of the people. Now you go back home and do your homework and look at the names of the seven. Almost all seven are Greek names. Because the Jewish apostle said we will not allow race to be a factor, only character. Can we do that? Can we do that? And not look at these as factors. Look into the heart of man and say, you know, Lord, show me trustworthy people. And it doesn't matter whether it's Telugu or Kannada or Tamil or Malu. I don't care. Just give me people who can be trusted. Here is the issue with Jewish believers and Greek believers. Leadership is all Jewish and they pick the next seven who are almost all Greek. You need to walk with God to make selections like that. Humble before God. God speaks. God speaks. That's what he's talking about. Because pressure is too much. Because people are struggling for acceptance. And they don't know that scripture. They haven't really experienced God where God says, I have accepted you in the beloved. Accepted you in the beloved. Eric and Joanna are sitting over there. If Eric looks at Joanna and says, you know Joanna, you're always beautiful to me. She doesn't have to spend two hours before the mirror every day and keep changing her costumes because the only person's approval on earth that matters to her should be Eric. But people don't dress for their husbands or they're dressing for the world to be accepted. In the same way, every believer has been accepted in Christ. You don't have to struggle for it anymore. Accepted. You don't have to give in to pressure anymore. God says, you are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted. 
most of the things which people do is for acceptance. While God says most of the things you do should be because you are accepted. Already. You don't have to do anything. You do because you are already accepted. He struggled with this. And that's what happened to Peter. That's what Jesus will offer this antidote to believers. He doesn't talk to anyone. He says, those who have come to me, know you haven't accepted, I will tell you how to guard yourself from this. In Matthew 6, he gives the antidote. He will say, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. You want to do anything, do it secretly. That's why we say in our church, please don't put your names. Unless it is a check by chance somebody has put Till today, in 10 years, I have no clue who gives. It's including, to be continuously faithful like that for 10 years is an incredibly liberating thing for you. You have done this secretly. You know what? What is the reward you get from heaven? Otherwise, he says, you will not get your reward from heaven. Look at how consistently he says, next one, which I gave you. That your charitable deeds may be seen in secret and your father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. You will always know you in your heart. I am my father's child and I can never change that position. He loves me and absolutely confident in any situation. We will sing today songs, but those songs should be experienced like Habakkuk. Habakkuk has this song, the wines have failed, the cattle feed is empty, everything is empty. And I will praise the Lord my God. God says, write it down. Make it for history. Because that guy knows me. He's not performing. He knows. He's accepted in the beloved. He says, you will know it openly. I will reward you openly. Next one. But you, when you pray, God is not saying you shouldn't pray in public, but he says, You should be praying more in secret before your father and nobody needs to know about it. When you fast, see, he's making all spiritual things, giving, praying, fasting. He says, do it in secret where only you and your father in heaven knows. You know what? You have an antidote to try to please people. Otherwise, what do we become? Hypocrites. What are we? We do our charitable deeds before. You know, boss is coming, though boss is coming immediately, sweeper begins, jadu, 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 next one is putting everything, everybody is acting busy. Boss goes out, everybody lays down. Boss comes back like a machine, they start working. Boss goes off there. We are like that. Boss is there, we are kind to everybody. Boss is gone, we start showing our true colors. Why? Because we really do not know him. God says, everybody is fighting inside. I'm trying by your failures, I'm trying to show you, you know what? This is why you fail. This is the reason you fail. Peter will fail miserably. Miserably, he will fail. So what does God say there? Stand. Don't stand. Don't walk. Don't sit. You know what God actually does? He reverses. 
the writer of Ephesians, Paul will say beautifully in Ephesians 2, 6, he first seeds us in Christ Jesus. Don't, don't sit in the company of the mockle. Remember who you are seated with always. You are seated with Christ. You are seated with Christ. Be careful how you walk. What will he say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we walk in them. Be careful what you walk in. Walk again. Quickly. Therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of calling with which you were called. Again. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. On the other hand, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself. So he says, first you are seated. This is how you should be walking. And then Ephesians 6.13, what does he say? You are once darkness. Okay, walk as the children of light. And then 6. See that you walk circumcised. You see, so much is talked about walking. You are seated in Christ. This is how you need to walk. And when you walk this way, scripture says in Ephesians 6.13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, stand against the wiles of the devil. Because though we are not aware we are seated and because we don't walk the way God walk, where do we end up? We are not able to take a stand against the devil. And he just rolls us over. And Peter is rolled over. But that's not enough, Right? We need antidote. We need to come out of this mess. Three steps. Remember these three steps. First is, you start disagreeing with the word of God. Like I said, to obey, you need only the Bible. To disobey, you need commentaries. You need many God channel, TBN, CBN. Every channel you need to see which preacher prescribes to my disobedience. Who will give me one legitimacy? One signature. That's like children do. No, dad said, don't go out. And dad goes out, quietly goes to mommy, can I go out and play? And you go out to play. Mommy doesn't know. We go out to play. Daddy says, how come you are here? Mommy told me to go. How come you are doing this thing this way? Isn't that what the Bible says? No, Joy Austin and Joseph Prince said you can do it. And the same thing I tell you. You don't have conviction when somebody asks you, why do you do this thing? Because pastor taught us that. No, pastor did not teach you. It is written in the Bible, therefore I taught you. Until you pick what is written in the Bible, it doesn't become your conviction. I cannot live your life. You have to live this life. I can only teach you. Some of you have said it. No, pastor told us. No, pastor did not tell you. He taught you from the word. When you go to your examination, when you write your physics exam, do you say teacher told us or you write from the physics text? But when it comes to taking decisions in life, you want to always push up responsibility to others because we don't want to go by the text. Because deep inside we know the text demands something from us. That's our problem. Don't disagree with the text. It is forever settled in the heavens. Heaven and earth will pass away, not even a dot from it. Second thing, don't be overconfident, don't be proud. Everything we receive is a gift. Everything we receive is a gift. What is the meaning of a gift? We don't deserve it, it was just given. 
When is your child's birthday? Do you go through your diary? Okay, how many months was he good? Did he listen to me? Okay, this year he's not going to get. Does any father decide that? No. It's called a gift. It's called a gift. Everything we receive from, get from God is a gift. Even your ability, your talent, your experience, everything is a gift. Maybe you're 40 years a doctor. Let's go, Dr. Richard is, he's not even 40 years old, but I'm saying, let us see, he's 40 years, now he's an expert. Even that was a gift. Because God gave him 40 years to work. You could have taken him out on the first day. You could have failed on your first day of work, but they said, get out from here, we don't want you. A patient died on the table because of you. And your license is revoked. God didn't do that. Can you imagine? Everything is a gift. So God says, don't be proud. Don't be overconfident. Because what is man like vapor here and gone? Like grass, gone. Just be humble, be meek. God will stretch you. He will extend you. And the third thing, don't walk at a distance. You will end up ultimately in the wrong company and end up doing what they do. That's when people play hide and seek. Don't play hide and seek with God. Don't play hide and seek with your parents. Don't play hide and seek with your parents. Don't play. Peter walked at a distance, then stood in their company, and little later, he's sitting in their midst. For restoration, God has his own ways. Step one, Luke 23. Here is Peter sitting in that company in the courtyard, everything, and then Jesus after probably a terrible beating. He's been beaten up, probably his face is all swollen, there is probably his eyes are also swollen, everything from the beating is and a thing passing by. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with me, for he is a Galilean. This fellow, Peter, he is one of his disciples. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while you were still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Out in the physical, you can do anything to that man, Jesus. But he hasn't forgotten anything. You see, Peter? Must have been through one eye. The other already is closed because of swelling. Three times. Denied. When you and I fail, we have two choices. You can either hide it or admit it. Only two choices. We can hide it or admit it. The Bible is very clear. In Proverbs 28 and verse 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper. Your marriage will go down. Your life will go down. Your career will go down. Everything will ultimately go down. You will be a wanderer like Cain. You will end up bitter like Naomi. Or you will end up alone. Why? Because you did not admit it. Cannot make restoration in most cases, but God says admit it. Admit, even if you need mercy from a court of law, you have to plead guilty. If you plead innocent, you don't get mercy. You know that? Even here, you won't get. If the court is 
judge is a nice person and he looks at what's your name, honey? Deepika. Yeah? Deepika. And he looks at her. Is it first offense? Yes. How old are you? Fourteen. Did you do it? No, sir. Call the witnesses. Yes, sir. Okay. Next time you come, I will throw the book at you. Okay? He lets you go. Why? Because you pleaded guilty. If you don't plead guilty, you don't receive mercy. Lot of people are walking without mercy because they refuse to admit. It was his plot. That's what Jesus did not come into the garden to throw Adam and Eve out. He came to restore them. Did any one of them say, I did it? No, the woman. The woman said the snake. So God said, okay, that fellow can deny. So he said, let him be cursed. You out. All they had to do was put up their hands and say, Lord, dada, have mercy. We messed up. God says, okay, let me see what I can do with you. Next fellow. Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Father ate a fruit. Son killed another brother. It's going harder and harder now. You see? God says, no, don't cover. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. What did the judge say? Don't come back to my court again. Meaning, don't do it again. It doesn't matter what your sin is. Woman has been caught in adultery. Law says, stone her to death. Jesus said, who is without sin? Stone her. Everybody left. He said, nobody to condemn you? No. Go. Do not sin again. Do not sin again. How many years were you lying here? 38. Pick up your mat and walk. He picked up, walked, went to the temple. Jesus met him, told him in his ears, don't sin again. Something, you'll miss the mercy which you just received. Admit it. Forsake it. God says, you are free. Admit it means to confess to God. Quit it. Stop. He will give you the power to stop. And then after that, forget it. Accept God's forgiveness. You're free. And the blood of Jesus cleanses somebody's sin. Not even a mark or tracing is left. When you use your eraser, it still leaves markings. What the blood of Jesus cleanses is nothing left. Forget. Because some people walk under condemnation of forgiven sin also. Boy, that's a sign of pride. They will not accept God's forgiveness. I was like that. God says, I am telling you, you are not like that. No. I have to remind you. Do you remember, Lord, 1977, January 22nd, what I did? God says, don't remind me, I have forgotten it. Admit it, quit it, confess, the blood of Jesus cleanses, and then forget. Walk free. Then it doesn't matter how many people write biographies and autobiographies about you. In heaven, those pages will be blank. Don't worry, only heaven's report will matter at the end. Abraham said two times his wife was his sister, deceived her. He did all kind of junk things, but God's report about him last, my friend. That's the only thing that matters. David committed adultery, murdered a man, deception, lying, everything. At the end of God's report, my man, after my own heart, finished his purpose, rested with saviors, my son's throne will be called the throne of David forever. That's the only thing that matters. Because that's what the blood of Jesus does. But the thing you have to do, admit it, quit it, and forget it. John 16, verse 7 and 8. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. It's good for you that I go away. People don't understand. Okay? Jesus walked with his disciples and Judas was among them. Was Judas with them? Was Judas stealing from the offertory box every day? Did Jesus ever rebuke him? No. He said, I will. It's good for you that I go. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will make you very aware of your sins. The day you put your hand in the money box, he will tell you, you put your hand in. The day you haven't given, he will tell you, you haven't given. Which I won't do, he will do. He will say, Lord, please, I wish you would come and walk with me. He says, better that the Holy Spirit comes, he will tell you where you are right, where you are wrong. Jesus never caught Judas. He said, you walk. You don't listen to the anointing, the Holy Spirit that is with me and on you, you're not going to listen to me. Right? Did you see Zacchaeus stand up and says, from whoever I have stolen, I give four times over. How come you are not pricked? You are not pricked? You are not moved? He says, good for the Holy Spirit comes. When he comes, he will convict the world of that's the first thing he does. The first thing he will do in everybody's heart is, dude, if you are willing to listen, he said, you know what? You did something which is not acceptable to me, your father. Put that right. Admit it. Stop it. And accept God's forgiveness. And move on. Because we got some work to do together. Second step, Luke 22, 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And the next one, 62. What did Peter do? Yes, see one person alone knows. Because that man cries, I have seen him cry. Therefore he knows. Those who don't cry, don't know scripture. So Peter went out and? Everybody thinks this is a sign of weakness. This is a sign of a true man or a woman of God. They weep bitterly when they sin. You don't have to do it in public. You cry before God. You cry before God. You go cry. Lord, no. That's how children are. Then children get hardened. Okay, When children are small and they love their parents in that little emotional way and when you scold them, hey! it's in a They cry. You didn't even touch them. You didn't do anything to them. Okay? And you tell them, okay, don't take anything. That chocolate, don't take. They couldn't handle temptation. And they went, and went into the cookie jar, ate one chocolate, and then you have come back home. Kring! Took chocolate. Three years, four years later, did you take the chocolate? I don't know. Maybe she took it. They have become cane. You need to realize, no? Old days in churches, they had one, one pew just for those people who would come to weep over their sins. Now we have all dry eyes and jumping and dancing. All that is good if it is true. Otherwise, it's an abomination to the Lord. If you're walking in sin, Walking in rebellion, walking consciously disobeying and in rebellion with God and then come and jump here. It's an abomination. You should be weeping and not jumping. Not jumping. But 
if you are wet before God, then now you don't know, you don't need anybody to tell, wave your hands or anything. You will worship in this way God has made you. Everybody is not the same. God has made people differently, but you will worship. Because truth will make you worship. You know you are free. Free people worship God. To are slaves who don't worship. Free people will always worship God because they know where their freedom comes from. It has come from God. This man was bound for 38 years. Jesus only told him, pick up your mat and walk. He knows he's free. He says, you know what? I have to go to the temple to worship today. Now I need to go because I have been unbound. Freedom always brings worship. Always brings worship. We need to be taught how to pray. We don't need to be taught how to worship. All we need to is lead people to the truth. They will worship. Because only free people can worship. That's what he's talking about. He went out and wept bitterly. Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. There is always sorrow with repentance. As soon as they heard this man whom you have crucified, God has made, they were cut to the heart and they said, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? One of the reasons people don't feel grief over sin is honestly because people no longer have any deep relationship either with man or God. So they are not bothered if they sin against somebody or they sin against God. It doesn't bother them. They don't. David loved Saul. Saul didn't love David. But David serves. The one who sinned against was Saul sinned against David. But David once he sinned, which we won't even think has sinned. He thought it has sinned. Man has gone into the cave to relieve himself. He's sitting at the back of the cave. He's got the opportunity to kill his enemy and get rid of him. And instead what he does, he takes a knife and cuts a bit of his rope. He doesn't even know. Saul is gone. He's not able to sleep. He says, what did I do? I cut the edge of the anointed one's rope. That is his conscience. Today people will say things, use foul language, call people names, shout at other. The kind of things people say, believers, after being in the Lord, will make a billy goat puke. They have no qualms. No qualms. No issues at all. The kind of language believers use, I've heard and shut my ears and when I hear about it, I get very upset. After this many years, you cannot, there's something seriously wrong. We don't use that language. Don't use that languages anymore. We can deal with issues, but we have to look at every person made in the image of God, whether believer or unbeliever. And if he's a believer, he's a child of God. No affection, either for God or fan. Therefore, there is no sorrow that can bring real change. No change. Change. Restoration has its steps. And this is the steps of God. Admit it. Quit it. Forget it. Second, let your repentance have real sorrow. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Bitterly. Did he do anything? Was he the one who betrayed him? No. Judas is the one who betrayed him. Did he tie Jesus and give him over? He didn't do anything. He just told three people, I don't know him. But for him, it broke him. Jesus looked at him and said, his eyes, you know, I will guide you with my eye. He looked at Peter, you don't know me. 
You don't know me. That was enough. He broke. That was the difference between Saul and David and Judas and Peter. That was the difference. Which group do you want to belong? Learn from Peter. Because today we live in a Christian culture that celebrates sin and rebellion. Celebrates it. And there are no more tears. There are no more tears. No tears. They went outside. Verse 62. That's the one we put, right? Can we have 62? Yeah. So Peter went out. Leave your company that causes you to sin. You need to get out. If you have to stand alone, stand alone. It's worth it. In your classroom, in your college, in your workplace, if the company is a company of mockers, walk out. Stay out. He went out from that company. That's the first step. Get out. Don't stay there anymore. And cry out to God. You don't want to be part of that crowd, the mocking crowd. And then, don't stay there. Jesus said, I am praying your faith will not fail you. And after you return, strengthen your brothers. Return. Come back. A lot of people have seen over and over and over again. When they sin, they don't come back to church. I will be better and then I will come back. It's not going to happen. The only place that can make you better is the house of God. If you sin, don't run away from God. Don't run away from church. Run to church. Run to church. Luke 22 verse 31 and 32. Jesus had prayed, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail you. John 20, Resurrection Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, poor girl, she is the only one who truly in that whole set, you have to give it to her. Nobody really had affection for him like she had because of she understood deliverance. Mother did not wait. Disciples did not go. Brothers did not go. Nobody went. She was always there. And there she is. Mark 16, verse 7. Yes, the angel. Go tell his disciples and... How God knows. He knows the ones who cry. If you have come to this house this morning, having cried in your closet last night over something you have done, you will hear God speak to you very clearly and you will know he is speaking to you. People don't hear on Sundays. It's because they haven't cried on Saturdays. You cry on Saturday, come here and you will see it doesn't matter who the preacher is. We think we need preachers and eloquent preachers. No, when Ezra stood there on a podium and read the law, people broke down and cried. He didn't even preach. Ask yourself, if you heard the reading of Leviticus, will you cry? They cried. Because the Holy Spirit will move on any word. It is his word. He will speak. Go tell Peter. One word. I know they are all betrayed, but this guy really, really fell. I know he's hurting. Go tell him. I saw your tears. Resurrection Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene goes. John 20. She's there. First day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early when it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. You know what? I, I wonder about this simple girl, no? She must have been watching whatever clock they had and they were looking at it and say, you know, five more minutes. 
Six more minutes, Sabbath will finish now. Five minutes, four minutes, everything is ready. Five minutes, two minutes, three minutes, one minute, let's go! Sabbath is over because they cannot go until Sabbath is on, right? Let's go! Let's go anoint his body. Do you come to church like that? What did she go for? What did she go for? What is she? She did not hear risen. She's not going to receive the resurrection. What is she going for? To anoint thee? That's what happens here on a Sunday morning, the anointing over the body. Do you rush like that? You will see the resurrection Lord. You will see the risen Lord. Because he was rushing to anoint his body. This is my body, he said. This is my body. For a nine o'clock service, if you come at 10.30, do you think you will experience a resurrected Lord? If you does, it's just mercy. Just mercy. There she is. Early. And so today she ran and came to Simon Peter. Came to? It's beautiful, right? She came to? So Mary knew where Peter was. Knew Peter was. We don't know the stories one day in heaven we will know because Peter and all of them must have been sitting there and praying and crying, Lord, what have you done? Where are you, Lord? And then suddenly she breaks in and says, the tomb is empty. Then she ran, came at the disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. It's very simple written, went out. It is not what is actually written. They ran. Peter ran. He ran. Come back. Run back to the cross. Run back to where Jesus is. Don't run away. Run. Don't be angry like Cain and run away. Walk away. Don't be offended like Naomi and walk away. Run. Run. Resurrection Sunday evening. John 20 verse 19. Then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, Peace with you. Who's there? Peter is there. Peter is there. You'll see Peter. Next scene you have in the gospel according to John is a few days later. They all go fishing. Peter said, let's go fishing. They all go fishing. They catch nothing. Without Christ you catch nothing. And Jesus is at the shore, he's cooked a breakfast for them, and he says, friends, kushimilaj. They said, no. Put the net on the other side. Net is full. What does the disciple say? Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, you see how humble they are. They won't mention even their name. Can you imagine? We will say, I am. I am James, Jesus Petudu. We'll ask Telugu, no, we'll add a do to it. <laughs> Nothing, you won't even mention, you have to imagine and you have to think, maybe this is John. But they will not. The fact that Jesus loved him, it's a huge thing. It's a matter of pride. But they're humble, so they will not mention their name. You decide what it is. I know about a man 15 years ago, he went to the third heaven and heard so many revelations, he won't mention it is he. Today's prophets, one dream, one vision. I don't know whether it's real or not. I went to heaven. It's all over YouTube, WhatsApp, every group they will know. These people won't even mention their names. Understand? 
It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Did you see? They are rowing with the fish. He says, I just can't wait for the boat to reach the shore. I just need to be with him. He jumped into the sea and swam towards him. Do you see what forgiveness does? When you have been cleansed of your iniquity, what it does to you, you are rushing to Jesus and not rushing away from Jesus. He rushes. And Jesus said, did you catch anything? Verse 11. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and he is the one who goes again and drags the fish. So ready to obey the Lord, even his small little wishes. This is what God's spirit does to you. Not only you rush to him, his every desire becomes a command for you. That's why he said, I will write my laws in your heart. How transformation takes place. This is the man who went to the pits because of his denial. And now he's there. And Jesus will ask him, Peter, do you love me? Actual word is, Peter, do you agape me? And he will say, no, I feel you, you. No longer confident, I cannot honestly say, I love you the way you love me. No, Lord, I don't. I don't. Earlier he would have said, of course not, you know I love you more than all these others. Now he won't even use that term. No, Lord, I don't. I don't love you the way you love me. Three times. Third time he is upset, Lord. Why are you asking me this? Three times. 21. Lord, why do you ask me? He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. Few days later, just a few days later, he and a group of disciples, 120 of them, would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will stand up. What does scripture say? The man who failed the most, Peter standing up with the leaven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. It's the beginning of the church through the man who failed most. The church begins. Just because you have failed doesn't make you a failure. Doesn't make you a failure. There's only one who can make you a success. Go back to him. Go back to him today. You're not a failure. The only one who can proclaim you're a failure is you yourself. God doesn't give up on anybody. We ours give up on ourselves. But his ways are very simple. It's not complicated. Just admit it. Go back. Go back. Admit it. Receive his forgiveness. Let there be sorrow. And say, Lord, help me to change. Cleanse my tongue. Help me to be kind. Help me to deal issues as issues. And see the people behind it. And respect and honor the people behind it. But deal with issues. Issues have to be dealt. That was the wedding message. Worship is your communication with God. Fellowship is your communication with each other. And your fellowship is what the church is built on. Doctrine and fellowship. Because there will be no unkind people in heaven. 
And if you continue that way, God will, will break you. If you have taken his name, he will break you because he wants people who are all cleaned up. Before he clean, he takes you up. How many of you will cook fish the way it comes from the market? So Jesus was loved fish. His final episode is with fish. Right? You clean it, scale it, wash it with salt, everything, then only you will cook it. Why do you think you will go to heaven the way you are? He will cut you, clean you, scale you, wash you with salt and then take you in. So that there is no stink in heaven. If you have doubts, read Revelation 22. Nothing unclean will enter this city. And unclean is not what you and I think. It's what the Holy Spirit thinks is unclean. And he will clean us. He will make us ready so that we can be taken. But remember this. Steps are very clear of falling and steps of recovery are very, made it very simple. Three, three steps. Amen? Shall we stand this morning? The final Sunday of this second month. Eight, ten more months to go. Next Sunday when we come back here, it is the first month of the third, first Sunday of the third month. But let's look to the Lord this morning. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you. We just thank you, Father, for today. You gave us life one more day to put things right with you. For your word says, if you confess, he is faithful. We are not putting our trust in our confession. We are putting our trust in your faithfulness. Because your word says, even when we are unfaithful, you are still faithful because you cannot deny yourself. We are coming to you, Lord, because you are a faithful God. Your very name in heaven is he who is true and faithful. If we confess, you are faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Today I pray, Father, there will be sorrow in our lives even as the Holy Spirit shows where we have fallen. Away from your grace, fallen short of your glory. So that we will admit it and in your power quit it and knowing that we are forgiven, we'll forget it and we will run back to you and we will serve you even in the littlest things, O Lord. Your desire will be our command because we joy, rejoice to obey you, Lord. Help us not to contend with your word no one in history has ever contented with your word has and won. For everlasting to everlasting your word will stand. And God is a man of war and no one fights him. Nations and states and civilizations that fought your word have passed away. Twenty of twenty-one civilizations have been wiped away by the word of God. And the word of God still stands. And I pray, Lord, we will never, ever fight your word. We'll humble our knee, our heart to your word. For you have exalted your word above all your name. We will not be obstinate. We will not be stubborn. We will not be proud. We will humble ourselves, Lord. 
Help us this morning. That the youngest to the oldest, there should be clarity how God restores his people, Lord. That we will stop following from far. Stop standing in the midst of scorners and scoffers and sit and warm ourselves in their company. But we'll walk out and weep bitterly of betraying you, Lord. You will have a word for us. No longer even through an angel, but through your own Holy Spirit, you will tell us, go tell Peter, go tell Vijay, go tell that person. I have gone before you. And I will make your crooked path straight. Help us today, Lord. For your God who comes to restore, to give back, All that the locusts have eaten. You are a restorer. The devil comes to steal. You come to restore. The devil comes to afflict. You come to heal. The devil comes to weaken. You come to empower. Today you are here Lord. Empower us today. Once again. We might walk in your ways. And find joy of our salvation restored, O Lord. And have the joy of serving you. In our schools, in our colleges, in our offices, in our homes. Everywhere, Lord. And I pray above all, Lord. The young ones here. Young ones and older ones. Cleanse our tongue with your fire. That the words we speak are not harsh. The words we say are acceptable in thy sight. Walk, working our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that one day we'll have to give an account for every idle word we have spoken. Cleanse us with your blood. Sanctify us with your fire, Lord. That the words we speak are words of grace. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. So we go into the rest of the week and a new month. We believe, like you told the angel to tell Peter, you are going before us. You are going before us, Lord. Therefore, we will not fear about March. Because you are going before us. And each day you will prepare for us. So that we can stand in your strength and testify and be a witness to the living God, our Master. Thank you, thank you, Lord. I commit the dear brethren who are traveling tonight and tomorrow back. Thank you for them. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for bringing them to our midst, Lord. As they go, I commit them into thy grace. And I pray your hand will be always upon them. And you'll continue to open doors for them and use them more and more in the days to come, Lord. Because it is never over until the hour you appear, O Lord. You have much to do through each one of us, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. Now by faith we lift up holy hands. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest with us now and forevermore. Amen.